Hey, what's going on, everybody? At the letters here, it's Arden Zwelling. Ben Nicholson-Smith is with me over the line. We are socially distanced at our homes, in our home studios here, where we're going to continue to be bringing you podcasts over the coming weeks, talking about baseball, talking about what we're working on, talking about all kinds of things as COVID-19 plays out, not only here across Canada, but across North America and the globe. You know, it wasn't that long ago, Ben, that we were down in Dunedin, Florida, getting ready for a baseball season and talking to players regularly about what they were hoping to do this year and, you know, how camp was playing out. And one of those individuals that we spoke to a few weeks ago was Matt Shoemaker, who was kind enough to sit down with us and and share some time and share some thoughts and some memories and look ahead. Obviously, circumstances have changed quite a bit since then. But, you know, even me personally, I'm just looking forward to listening back on this, even though I conducted the interview with you to just listening back to see what we were even talking about two weeks ago because it seems like ancient history right now. Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, in that period of time, we've seen so many changes, of course, in our world and, and in the baseball world. So the questions that we were asking at the time were really focused between the lines and really focused on Shoemaker and on the Toronto Blue Jays with the expectation that we would have March 26th as opening day and that the season would progress as normal from there. So, you know, of course, keep that in the back of your mind as you're listening to these questions that, of course, that was the assumption at the time, but still covered a lot of ground here. And I think it still is worth sharing some of those insights into Shoemaker's rehab and where he was at mentally as the the 2020 season appeared to be approaching, at least at the time. Yes, exactly. So here from the beginning of March is our interview with Blue Jays starter, Matt Shoemaker. Matt, thanks, man. Appreciate you doing this. It was interesting. We were talking the other day about ACL recovery. And when people think about it, they think you're just working on your knee. Like you're just working on the one joint, but actually like it's a holistic approach. And you're saying how you felt the differences on the mound through your whole body. Yeah. I mean, it's the rehab itself. It's no joke. You know, I hope nobody has to go through that, but you know, I said, look, going through it and getting stronger. I'm like I said, it's not just your knee. It's not just your left leg. You're doing stuff to your left leg. You're doing stuff to your right leg. You're doing stuff to your quads, doing stuff to your, you know, your ankles, your glutes, your upper body. But yeah, like we talked about the other day, just being on the mound, throwing bullpens and then being in game about what you feel like the leg stability from all the rehab and all the strength training you were doing in a good way. Like I said, you get something positive out of a very negative situation. It's like, man, I just feel more in tune. Like I said, the body feels great. Legs feel strong. When I mean, you really attack single leg stuff and you do it day after day after day, week after week, month after month, you definitely notice differences on the mound, whether it's a bullpen or in game. Is it almost a case now where, you know, reading some of what Arden wrote recently, your leg might even be stronger than it had been before. I mean, that's almost kind of crazy to say because you're obviously a professional pitcher you need your legs under you so that's something that you've always relied on but is it a case where by going through this rehab you almost added more strength than you ever had before yeah I mean I would definitely say yes like I said I don't know the specific science behind like hey is my knee actually stronger is my quad actually stronger right now but I will tell you it feels stronger when you're doing regular off-season workouts or in-season workouts you know you're doing single leg stuff you might be doing squats you know guys have different programs but going through an ACL rehab you're doing single leg stuff and lower half body stuff. I mean, every day, every other day, every three days for months and months on end. So just because of that, I would definitely say I feel stronger as a result of that because the workouts were very different and structured in a different way. 
the thing I've heard from other guys who've gone through ACL rehabs is that it's tedious and they progress you very, very slowly. Do you think that maybe with some of the rehabs you've had earlier in your career, you may be a bit better prepared for just that mental side of it? Yeah. You nailed it by saying that. I mean, going through rehab, you got to be committed to getting physically better. It's all about being in a good mental state. If you're in a good mental state, you're going to get through rehab better. You're going to come out of it better. Once again, like a positive out of a very negative situation, you know, having to have ACL surgery and meniscus surgery, you come out a better mental person as well, let alone better physically, but mentally. Like I said, if you go into something and you face adversity and you are mentally strong and you get through it by being mentally strong and you can come out on the other end of it more mentally strong, you're going to be more physically fit. Your mental side is going to be better and you're just going to be all around in a better position to go out and do whatever it is you're doing. How do you stay mentally strong in that situation then? Because you know, it could be different techniques, whether it's talking to teammates, talking to family, reading various things, meditation, there could be, you know, all kinds of different yep. ways. So what, what were your techniques for trying to stay strong mentally? You know, for me, just being completely honest, man, it's, it's my faith in God. It keeps me even keel. Like I said, I always, you know, rely on him, you know, and obviously with my faith in God, knowing, hey, everything's going to be taken care of. With that being said, family, big time, my wife, my kids, my parents, family and friends, that whole package collectively gets you through tough situations. But yeah, man, it's, it's always, you know, cool, you know, going home and your little kids are like, oh, you know what, talking about maybe why you weren't playing that day or whatever, and then you talk to them about it. And you're like, you know, good daddy, you're going to, you're going to be good and get back out there. You know, just, just every little piece of positivity helps. I know Nikki Huffman, who was the trainer at the time, interviewed a bunch of different people who could oversee your rehab and ended up finding one for you in Ann Arbor, which obviously is close to home and sounds like that was important to you is, is that a cool kind of rare opportunity in season to get to be a bit more of a dad where, you know, I'm sure obviously you want to be playing, obviously you want to be at the team as much as possible, but it is kind of rare for somebody with your job to get to do that during a season. Yeah. You know, like I said, I want to keep, I know it's maybe the second or third time I've said this, but once again, another very positive thing coming out of a negative situation. Like I don't, I apologize for repeating that, but it's true. The ACL happening, having to have surgery is awful. But, you know, as a result of it, team goes on the road. Hey, you're going home. You're not going with the team, stuff like that. So setting me up with somebody locally, I mean, it's not too far away from where we currently live in Michigan. Being able to go to PT daily there, get my workouts in, do everything we need to do to rehab and get better. And also with somebody that the staff, the Blue Jays staff trusts, you know, they're reaching out through their networks. That's huge. I mean, I'm, I'm gone for several hours a day doing my work, getting ready, getting better through rehab for my knee. But at the same time, being able to see, you know, your wife and kids daily, that's therapeutic in itself, not having to be away from them more and more as a result of an injury, but just being around them more, just like I said, keeps you in a good mental state. Clearly you were making progress gradually throughout the season. We would hear updates periodically. What was the point that you kind of realized like, Hey, I'm, you know, 90% there toward making a full recovery or, you know, 85% where it kind of clicked in, like I'm closer to being my full self than I am that injured self that was down on the ground in Oakland at the end of April. Yeah. You know, there's definitely a lot of those points, key timing points where like, Hey, this feels good or this feels right. Or this feels right. Or, Hey, we're almost there. Kind of talking about a couple of them was kind of the first time I started doing some, like whether it was a squat or a single leg squat or two leg squat or some type of deadlift or some type of single leg RDL and it didn't hurt doing it. You know, I, I remember that a couple months in or whenever the time frame was, but it was like, man, that felt, that felt strong. There was no pain or discomfort from actually recovering from surgery. That was just a noticeable one in my head. It was like, man, like, Hey, the discomfort's gone. So we're, we're building up there at the end of October, right at the six month mark, right around there. I threw four bullpens here in Dunedin 
still going through rehab, but at the six month mark, we're like, we arguably could have been, depending on the team situation, like we arguably could have been ready to go because that's when I threw four bullpens, you know, every maybe three days I throw a bullpen for a total of four. And man, those bullpens felt great. No knee discomfort, felt strong, body felt good, arm felt good. I mean, that was at the six month mark at the end of October, right before Halloween, I remember through those bullpens and that was like really big, like, hey, like I'm ready to go right now. And obviously for the next couple of months going through a regular off season with focus on strengthening left knee, quad, all that, et cetera, coming into spring training and facing hitters for the first time. And obviously, you know, facing hitters and live BP. And then obviously the other day in the game, in like kind of the first real spring training game that wasn't live BP or sing game. All those points were like, man, that's, we're good to go. We're good to go. We're good to go. When you come back, does your stuff come pretty quickly or is there a bit of a... It, it, it depends. Yeah. You know, it's, I wouldn't say very quickly. I would argue it's more gradual for me, which is good. I, I know that. I can assess it. Getting through offseason bullpens leading into spring training, facing, you know, bullpens, facing hitters, live BP, and then getting into games. I guess overall, maybe it's a gradual thing, but you got to get a feel for your pitches. You got to get a feel for your mechanics again. Everything for me, I like timing and rhythm. So as long as my body's on time, my pitches are going to be executed much better. So whether it's fastball, slider, curveball, split, it can be gradual. And in some days, some things get there quicker than others. The split's such an interesting pitch. Like there's not a ton of guys who throw it. Is that one that takes a bit more time? I, I would argue it takes a little bit more time. The end of the off season, going into spring training, I'm throwing my bullpen, throwing all pitches, and I would definitely say that's more gradual. I feel like too off speed. Every guy's different, but I want to speak for everyone. But off speed in general, I feel like is often a slower, gradual process for guys. But you got to get you know right. Your release point's got to be in the right spot. You know your finger pressure. If you're a finger pressure guy, like I said, once again, timing with the release point. You know the tilt of your hand, depending on what shape you want to make the pitch. And with splits, you know you go out there and you grip it, throw a good fastball, and you know, it's good feel. So, yeah, I would definitely argue it's it's gradual, but that's why, you know, we're out here in spring training getting ready for the season and, and facing hitters in games, you know, because it gets us all ready. There might be some guys who have, you know, comparable experience to you who, for whatever reason, have never had injuries, and they've just been able to always take them out through whatever good fortune or good health or whatever the case. As someone who has run into those obstacles, you know, in some unexpected ways, What's the feeling of excitement like at this point in the spring where you're, you know, gearing up for opening day, season mm-hmm. ahead of you, pretty decent looking team, who knows what happens, a lot of young talent on this group. Yeah. What, what's that feeling yeah, like for you? It's awesome, man. You, excitement is just one small way to describe it. Uh, we have a, a very exciting team, a great group of guys as well. Like I said, we want to go out there and win together and just have a blast doing it. But like I said, something about when you get to spring training, it's exciting. Even though we know it's just spring training, it's, it's baseball. So like baseball's here. And that leads into the season, you know, season opener leading into a, hopefully just a wonderful, long, productive, great season, you know, for, for everyone on our team. But yeah, like I said, something about it, just being back around baseball after having, you know, the off season downtime is super exciting. Coming off of injuries, like injuries, the worst thing. It's, it's awful. Because like, we love this game. We play this game. We, you know, give our heart, you know, to this game just to keep getting better and compete. So when an injury takes that away from you, it's really frustrating, but that's back to the mental state that we were talking about. If you can stay positive through it and stay mentally strong, it's just going to be better for you as a person going through it. I know I am and can be one of those workhorse guys, and I want to do that. I want to go out there and give my team a chance to win every time I pitch, throw as many innings as possible. Like I said, you just got to stay on the field. And I guess there's an advantage to being a veteran where no one's watching your pitch counts. Like they're not, <laughs> they, you know, we got to cap them off at 120 innings yeah, or like yeah. you can, presumably you can go. Yeah, like, well, like I said, I know like in, in the past I've thrown, you know, over 200 innings in a season. 
whether it was coming up through the minors or, you know, first getting to pro ball with a you know combination of whatever. But I know what I'm capable of and I know the work I put myself through and hard work and, you know, put your body in, in a good position to one succeed and to be healthy. I've just unfortunately, you know, come across a few, I would argue, freak injury things, you know, like ACLs don't happen in baseball that often, especially in a pitcher. I had the pronator tendon thing, which the surgeon who did it, who is one of the world renowned surgeons, said he's never seen that in a baseball player before. Stuff like getting hit in the head, you know, obviously that was in the end of the season. I only missed a month because of it, but just some freak things. And hopefully all those things are done, you know, and we're ready to go and put it all together. Speaking about the young team and what you're trying to build, you know, that process kind of started last off season, a little bit after the season, you got everybody together down here and kind of hung out and talked. I mean, what were those days like? What was that experience like? And what do you think guys got out of it? You know, it's just always great to get one guys together. Because obviously in a clubhouse, you know, when you have a great clubhouse like we do, it's just guys are always having fun, laughing with each other. And then it's nice. I don't, people have families or families in town, so it's harder to get together. But when we're actually able to get together off the field too and go to dinner or just go hang out somewhere, it's just good for everyone, especially as a, as a team. Because then you just build relationships more and guys are able to lean on each other more and more in different ways, which is super powerful. But with that being said, like I want to be a guy who like, you know, the young guys can come to for anything. It doesn't matter. Talk about baseball, talk about life, anything I can do to help. And I know I can get things out of the young guys that'll help me. You know, when we're talking, you know, pitcher batter stuff, you know, obviously we talk with the catchers and attack our plan. But when I'm talking to some of these young hitters, you know, some of these guys who just have so much talent, I'm learning stuff as a pitcher, you know, by talking to them about stuff, which is great. And I think that's a two way street. You know, guys can learn from everyone. So when you talk to a guy like Bo Bichette or Kevin Biggio, who's young in this game, but it seems like they have a whole lot of polish and a real good idea of what they're doing at the really plate. Do. Like, is that a really exceptional kind of the advanced? Say, yeah, at their age, you know, given how old they are and they have that look, they have that feel. They, like you said, they look polished or their plate appearances. Every time they go up there, they have a plan, you know, and that's hard for really young guys to do. And so I just go out there like, you know, balls to the wall every single time. But when you actually go out there with an approach and a plan and you see young guys doing that, like I said, they're ahead of the game. What about a guy like Nate Pearson on the pitching side, obviously? Mm -hmm. When you look at the, I don't want to call them gifts because he obviously works for it, right? But, you know, maybe... They're both. <laughs> yeah, there's, they're gifts and you work hard. It's, right, it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's an incredible combination yeah. regardless of how you, you know, separate one from the other. And I think when you're watching him from this distance, as we sit here in the press box, it's impressive. You get a closer view to his training behind the scenes, to his bullpen sessions, potentially you're in the dugout for his mm -hmm. games. What's it like watching and talking to a guy like that? It's impressive. You know, like I said, once again, he's I know, just talking to him this spring for the first time, you know, just kind of getting a feel for him, his mindset, his family life. It's impressive to see guys who are, you know, in the short time I've had with him and in the last few weeks, it just, you know, kind of the mental state. They're, you know, professional. Like when guys act professional, it's so much better for them. It's so much better for the team when guys, you know, they respect their process and they, and they go out there and they work hard, like hard work. You can never outdo hard work, right? Like you said, and we're, we'll go back to the gift, hard work talk. It's like, clearly, you know, he was given this amazing God given gift to go out there and have that kind of arm, right? We all have everybody on this baseball field has been, have these tremendous gifts to play this game, but you got to work hard to one, keep doing it. And to two, get better. Like you should never be complacent. That's what I always tell guys is never be complacent, always work hard. And if you think you're already there, like, no, work harder to get better. Because you can always get better. Mike Trout can get better, which I know it's hard to say. And <laughs> yeah. I play with him for six years. But it's like, like he is getting he, better. He's yeah. he's like he's getting better, but he's already better. So it's like a weird conversation. He's like, I'm saying like guys like that, like obviously, you know, the Bows, the Vladdies, the Bigios, the the Pearsons, like they have this 
unbelievable talent at such a young age. Like just keep working hard and you're going to get better. And it's going to be amazing to see. Arden and I have talked about this a few times before, but it almost is like one of those misconceptions where I think people think that if you get to the major leagues, well, it's just because these insane gifts exist. And that's part of it, obviously. It's part of it, but, but it's like, not all of it. Right. There doesn't there have to be like this other side where you guys are grinding it out, working basically, you know, full time, 12 months a year. It's yes. I mean, hopefully you can take one to two months off, give your body that, you know, that rest it needs. But like I said, I'll say it again, dude, hard work, it pays off. And even if you have these gifts and you, you know, you can throw a hundred or you're 20 years old and you're, you know, a phenom in the field and at the plate, keep working hard, man. Because like I said, you keep working hard and this is for every, all the kids listen to this as well. It's like, keep working hard. You can always get better. I don't care who you are or what talent level or what age you are. You can always get better. And to that end, I look at this rotation. I look at yourself, Chase Anderson, Hunjin, Ryu, Tanner Roark, guys who have had great success, but also a lot of adversity mm-hmm. and have come through a lot of tribulations and trial and error. Is it almost as important that young players learn from your failures as oh, from your successes? Without, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Without question. Like I know we briefly touched on it maybe a few minutes ago, but the type of person you become is how you face adversity, right? When everything's going great, everything's great, right? It's, everything's amazing. But as soon as you face a little adversity or a lot of adversity, how you react to that is what, you know, builds you as a person. It's what determines your character. So strictly talking, not even talking about like, you know, real life or not real life. This is real life, but like (laughs) not talking just like life off the field, but I'm I'm strictly talking about baseball right now. Everybody in this game is going to face adversity. You know, Mike Trout's faced adversity. Everybody's going to face adversity. But how you react to that adversity and how you decide to get better and face that adversity head on. Like I said, one, it's going to make you a better player, a better person, and it's going to, it determines your character. So when you face adversity head on and you get better as a result of adversity, it just makes you a better player. Have you had guys even from around the league kind of reach out to you and say like, hey, I'm looking at a big, long rehab or like I'm going through this and asking you for advice on that type of stuff? Yeah, I have had a couple guys, you know, ask me. One was relating to obviously the pronator thing, which thankfully his wasn't a pronator tear, which was also an easy fix, but just like a little, you know, forearm discomfort, you know. ACL. I've reached out to guys who had like the Strowmans who had ACL and then Pena with the angels yeah, had yeah. it later in the season, you know, talking to guys about, Hey, maybe unfortunately this is what to expect, but get through it. Stay mentally strong, work your butt off. You're going to be stronger because of it. We're all one big family. Like obviously your team is your number one priority, but as a whole, you know, us players and in, in the big leagues, like we all lean on each other and we respect each other and like you said, doing when something happens, adversity and unfortunately injuries, uh, you you definitely reach out to guys and hopefully guys will reach out to you to get any insight. Along the lines of the mental side of the game, such a long season. Here we are midway through spring training as we record this and there's still feels long already. <laughs> right? Like you, yeah, there's been already so much activity, so many games, there's still more to come. And then of course the real season begins. You have six months of games with basically no breaks. Even your off days, there's a golf tournament or some sort of thing you guys have to do always. So when you're talking to these younger players, do you ever kind of have any conversations or advice for them about how to manage the mental side, the physical side of the demands of a season that is pretty relentless? Sure. Without question. Like I said, we talk about hard work, hard work, and that's insanely important. But getting rest when you can is incredibly important. It's 162 games, and that's just the regular season. We're not counting off days. Then we're not counting spring training, which is another, I don't know, just rounded to what, 30-ish games. We're here for a month and a half eight months hopefully you make the playoffs there's another however many games you go in the playoffs you're looking at 200 plus games potentially which is sounds insane but you know it's, it's what we do it's how our season is mentally it's a grind and physically it's a grind and it's like you put in that hard work you put your body in a better spot to 
go out there every day and do what you got to do. And also, like I said, mentally, you when you put yourselves in these good situations and you figure out, hey, mentally, like, oh, man, kind of dragging today. Okay, figure out a way to, you know, get yourself ready for the game, whatever your your own personal tricks are. It's a long season. It's a fun season. But like I said, it's the best way to put it, man. It's fun. And like I said, guys go out there and just get after it. Do you track your rest and recovery? Like, do you monitor your, your sleep and how much your workload and stuff? I mean, I more monitor like workload stuff. Yeah. I sleep really well, <laughs> even with kids. You <laughs> know, my, wife, kids, my yeah. wife's awesome with that. So I know I get my rest. I get my sleep. I mean, workload, obviously, you always got to manage workload because you want to go out there and work as hard as you can every single day. But some days you got to assess yourself and be like, okay, I'm going to take a step back and maybe do, you know, half of what I was going to do just for recovery purposes. And that's where you become a smarter player is when you can actually do that. It's like, oh, I'm not going to go out there and do stuff for two straight hours. I'm going to do stuff for an hour because my body needs a little more recovery. So there's definitely little tricks like that. I think about Nate, who we were talking about. He's pitching with like a heart rate variability monitor on his wrist and he's tracking sleep and this guy's wearing modus sleeves and tracking all that type of stuff. Like, do you think it goes too far and maybe you lose the feel? Potentially. Like I said, I don't want to get into this too much. And I only say that because I'm just to be completely honest, I'm not as informed as I should be maybe on this topic. Maybe not as, as much as I should be. But I don't do all of those things, so I don't want to necessarily comment in a positive or negative light because I don't know enough about it to have a good opinion or my own opinion about it. With that being said, I would say some of it seems in my mind too far, but at the same time, if it's helping a guy out, it's not too far. If whatever a certain guy's doing, if he has his routine and he knows, hey, this works for me, I, I track this, I track my effort level. And I know, hey, I can work harder this day or I need to work, you know, a little bit less hard this day or, or do less reps. That's super beneficial. So like I said, with what I said earlier, like not that there's necessarily good and bad, but I would say there seems like there's good and bad out of a lot of that stuff. It just, I would argue maybe you don't want to let all that stuff consume you, whoever it is, just because, like I said, I don't know enough about it to have like a right. an honest answer about it. It's just kind of me talking with you guys about it, the little I do know about it. Along the lines of, of technology in the game, you know, obviously there's been the whole Astros developments and, and all the fallout from that on a practical level, because, you know, the the moral stuff will run its course and the suspensions and everything in Houston, that will be its own sideshow. But on a practical level, you're a pitcher who's going to face the Astros and other teams with all kinds of technology. Does that thought even cross your mind that someone might have your signs? Like, is that even something that you consider? Do you have to consider it? How does that work so, for you? So, yeah, so in game, you know, I'm a pitcher, so I'm going to sound biased, but it's also true. Like, I wish we could just go out there as a pitcher and throw any pitch with any sign with a guy on second base and nobody's going to ever try to steal the signs, right? Whether you say it's a part of the game or not, that's a part of the game where like, hey, if you're going to be a pitcher and there's a guy, there's a base runner at second base and you got your catcher putting down one sign or whatever, and and like the base runner clearly sees what sign you're throwing and he's going to try to relay that to the hitter. So be it. But obviously as a biased pitcher, I wish that wasn't allowed, but you know, whatever it's, it's been a part of the game for years and years and years. And Hey, that's why we have multiple signs and you, you know, hopefully decode your signs. You got to be smart. So in that aspect, yes, like you're very aware people are trying to steal your signs more with base runners at second base, right? Not to get too much in this Astro talk because I don't really want to, but yeah, um, that's totally fair. No, 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 but with that being said, as soon as you're using live technology to do it, it's gone way too far. I don't want to sit here and say a base runner or second base, it's okay to steal signs, but we know that's been a part of the game. I wish that wasn't as a biased pitcher, just you know, being serious and laughing about it. But yeah, that's why we have multiple signs with runners at second base, so they can't relay the sign to the hitter. As soon as you're using technology, whether it's live feed, you know, we're not going to get in the buzzer talk, whether it's a buzzer, whether it's banging a trash can, whatever these things are, but you have, hey, 
here's a camera, here's the sign. We decoded the signs, but it's not the base runner second base. It's, you know, coming from in the dugout or behind the dugout. I would just say that's definitely have gone way too far. Have you thought about what this season might be like for the Astros as they go around to visiting ballparks? <laughs> I Obviously, you could argue they brought it on themselves. Yeah. It's probably not going to be too fun. But at the same time, you know, they made their bet, I guess, in a way. Honestly, I don't know what it's going to be like. Like I said, it's probably not going to be too fun. But at the same time, if, you know, guys are going to react differently to it, right? Whether one guy it mentally affects them or one guy it doesn't mentally affect them. Every single city they go to, they're going to be getting wore out from the fans. Mm-hmm. So be it. I've not really thought about it in depth too much because I just want to worry about my team. But it's probably not going to be too great. But at the same time, I don't know how it's going to be. I was kind of making this case earlier because I was watching a game the other day where they had Rizzo mic'd up, Chris Bryant mic'd up. They're talking to each other during the game. They've got the earbud in. They've got the mic on. I don't understand why a catcher couldn't have a microphone in his mask and a little speaker in there. And you've got a little earbud in, a little Bluetooth earbud. And you guys are communicating with each other. Yeah, like I've not really thought about that in depth either, but I guess on the surface, that sounds like a very easy, probably maybe good, plausible idea. Yes, I I don't don't, don't mind it. But at the same time, I feel like... Everyone gives me grief about this, but I I think it's a great idea. Well, it's like, what's the difference with a quarterback having a headset piece, you know, and he's getting plays from the side? You could argue that's the same in a way. I mean, I guess it is the same. Yeah. But I know if you look at both sides of it, somebody at some point is probably going to try to exploit that and throw an earpiece in somebody else's ear, like a batter or something. I don't know how, just looking at both sides. Like if it was left at that and that's how we got signs to each other and we don't have to physically or give physical signs so people can't steal them. Could be a good idea, I guess, but not knowing any details about it. I don't really know because what team's going to try to exploit it and put one of those earpieces in a batter's ear and they somehow have, I'm going to extremes here, but I'm sure it's happened where if somebody's been in center field with binoculars, that's happened before at some point in our game. Sure. But maybe he's got the other earpiece and he's got binoculars and he's talking to the hitter. You know, who knows? I, I know we're, we're getting pretty in-depth about it, but good or bad idea, like I said, it could be a good idea, but then I guess you got to look at the flip side of who can exploit that and try to help, I guess, hitters with stealing signs. I don't know. I think it's like it's the push-pull of too much sure. technology in the game and then the amount of technology that is naturally going to be yeah. in the game. Like everything on this field that we're looking at right now is being tracked mm-hmm. with cameras and sensors yep. and biomechanical tools. So the technology is there and it's happening. So I just kind of feel like taking those steps and using the yeah, technology. Like, when I hear hitters who say like, hey, we got the signs, you know, whether it's through the video or with the Astros, whatever their deal was, they had it on video and banging trash cans. I completely respect the guys who are like, I don't want to know. Whether you want to argue integrity, morality, whatever, like morally, they're like, hey, that's no, that's too far. Like, I respect that. That's awesome. You know, like I said, with that being said, I, there's always going to be somebody trying to get an edge, whether, you know, it's morally right or morally wrong. I think that happens every day in life, not just baseball or sports, football, whatever. That you said the technology is there, so many analytics, so much technology. I don't know the right answer to go about how do you do that to limit the possibility of people stealing signs. I don't know what the best answer is. You know, MLB is talking about getting rid of all game feed in the clubhouse. As a pitcher, don't you? That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like I, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to whether it's save face or whatever. I don't know what I guess their full on motive is, but. When you're talking about, hey, as a pitcher, you know, hopefully I go out there and I throw seven, eight, you know, great shutout innings or whatever, and I'm going to do my arm care because I'm taking care of my body and maintenance yeah. and all that. You better believe I'm going to want to watch my guys finish the game and win. Right. Without question. I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we can get into 
more conversation about, okay, access to the video room, access to live feed. That's how people were stealing signs. I don't know the right answer to how do we limit guys stealing signs in that sense. But we're talking about getting rid of all monitors in the clubhouse. Like, I don't know how to fix not stealing signs, but that's that's a bit much, <laughs> in my opinion. And I think most guys agree with that. As a, as a pitcher, like, do you use that between innings? Because I know like we had Pete Walker on with us toward the end of last year, and he's telling us, I mean, sounds like a lot of work, but he's telling us he'll watch you live, then he'll, yep. go, to the, or he'll go to the clubhouse, he'll watch the video, give yep. you feedback right away. So Without I mean, question. Yeah. So like, I mean, me personally, in a game, I don't go in in between my innings in a game, but I know, first off, I know pitchers who do that in between their innings, or they'll have Pete, hey, Pete, can you go check this out? Let me know what you saw, whether it's, you know, hand position, mechanically, a pitch, whatever it is, pitch movement, pitch shape, all those things, obviously, we have access to getting guys better. You know, they need to be used properly. Definitely, you know, Pete does that. Other pitchers do that. Obviously, hitters, after it bats, go check stuff out. Hopefully, they don't go in there and, like, complain about balls and strikes like every hitter does. But, <laughs> but if they you know, if they want to see a pitch or what a, what a guy threw them or, or the shape of the pitch and they don't really recall it fully, I mean, all that stuff's great. But, like I said, you, there's got to be a way, I guess, to, you know, limit – the possibility of cheating. But yeah, like I said, guys go in mid game all, all the time to get some feedback, immediate feedback to try to get them better. I want to end on a more positive note than cheating. Uh, <laughs> Mike Trout's name has come up yeah. a lot. You got a cool Mike Trout story from your oh, time geez. playing with him or a cool story or seven. There's more than seven. <laughs> him and Jess, like they're such great, his wife, Jess, like they're such great people. You know, me and Danielle are really good friends with them. You guys see him hit the golf ball the other day, that clip Dude. of him. That was unbelievable. What did he do? I, I heard about the clip. It's, I, just, it's like a, it's a it's, rocket just it's leaving stupid, his club. He it's has, unbelievable. He's at like Top Golf where the balls are dead. No, they're dead and the and clubs he, are all janky. Yeah. And no, like, and I've, he just walks up and I've, hits it. I played with no this prep. I played golf with this guy many times in spring training, obviously, especially, you know, being with the Angels for so long together. He just walks up, like you said, he walks up and just drops the driver on the ball and the ball goes like, Oh, that was three seventy five. Oh, was it? Okay. Is that like fake? What just happened? It's insane. It's he's, crazy. He's like I said, he's just an awesome human being, awesome guy, awesome family man. Just unbelievable talent. And he's one of those guys, I guess this isn't like a one story, but like he's one of those guys we always mess with because anything he does, it happens exactly how it should for him. Like he's just that good at everything. Like he goes out and he hits a ball four hundred yards, a golf ball, four hundred yards. It's like, how does that, what? Like, how did yeah. that just happen? Like, anything he does, it's like, of course, Mike Trout did it. It worked out perfect. But, like, that's what happens. Man. He's, he's that good at everything. It's incredible. They're like people you grew up with who was like any sport they tried, like anything they picked They're up. The and it was just immediate. He's like that. He's like that. Yeah. Dude. I feel like I don't want to, like, downplay anything. Many of the, the NFL is insane. It's, in, it's hard. It's intense. I feel like he can go play in the NFL right now. I don't even know if he has any... Like, like yeah, weird like, body for the well, NFL, like, right? Tight well, safety. It's like he's linebacker, no, linebacker, short. safety. Who knows, six man? One, six two? Yeah, NFL tight ends like, like six eight. Oh, I've really? seen him like play. We like long time ago play basketball together. Just like just see him jump. He like, jumps through the gym. He jumps through the roof of the. It's insane, man. Everything he does is insane. It's it's really cool. I think he's a Hall of Famer today. You agree? <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll vote for him if we had a vote. Hundred percent. Carve the plaque now. Like get him in there. No, like it's yeah. Like I said he's insane. he's it's, everything he does is just an amazing talent. But on the baseball field, he's special for sure. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate yeah, this. Thanks man. for having me, guys. 
So that was our interview with Matt Shoemaker from a few weeks ago before COVID-19 had suspended spring training. We hope that you enjoyed it and we hope that you're all safe and healthy and happy and practicing social distancing and staying at home as, as much as possible as Ben and I are. We're going to continue to bring you podcasts over the coming weeks, talking about what's going on in the baseball world, what's going on in the world at large and what Ben and I are working on and just finding a way to continue talking about baseball through these strange times. So for Ben Nixon-Smith, for our producer, Amal Delich, my name's Arden Swelling. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.